are listening to The Depression Session at 99.1 FM Downtown Radio. Each week, we'll have a new guest tell the story of their depression. I'm your host, Laura Milkins, and thank you for joining us on The Depression Session. Just a note for my listeners, I want to make sure you understand that this is a show about depression, and some of the content can be triggering, so please take care of yourself if something on the show brings up difficult feelings, and seek professional help if you need it. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to The Depression Session on Downtown Radio. Today we have with us in the studio Brad Poole. Brad is a journalist and freelance participant in the gig economy. We'll be right back with Brad, but first let's talk about Talkative. So I was thinking about this this morning that I talk too much. It's something I've thought about many times in my life. And one of the reasons I'm talking about it actually is that Brad and me and a couple of friends were hanging out in a hot tub chatting the other evening. And it was really lovely under the super moon, the, the like 150 year event we had the other day with the super moon and the blood moon and the blue moon all mixed together in one big moon. It was great. And I, there came a moment where I realized that we had totally dominated the conversation and nobody else had anything to say for a while. And that happens to me all the time where suddenly I look, I'm like, when was the last time this person uttered a word? Now there are people who are quiet, but even they want to be you engaged in the conversation in some way, or at least have a chance to say something. And it's been a problem in my life, my whole life that I love to talk. My family are storytellers. I get on a train of thought and this show is great for that. I have five uninterrupted minutes to talk about whatever I want to right now, right? Like, this is great. But I don't want to exclude other people. I found an article on psychology today. It's, what if you talk too much? The cure for verbosity depends on its cause. And it's from Marty Nepko, PhD. You like to talk less, but you can't make yourself stop. Use the traffic light rule. During the first 30 seconds of an utterance, your light is green. The listener is on board with you. During the next 30 seconds, your light is yellow. The person may be wanting you to stop, if only because he, she has something to add and fears that they'll forget by the time you finish. After the one minute mark, your light is red. Yes, you occasionally want to run a red light. For example, when telling someone something important or interesting that you would take even a concise person more than a minute but usually you should stop at the one minute mark. If your conversation partner wants more, he, she may ask. If not, you can ask, would you like more detail? Or is there anything more you'd like to know about that? If you can't seem to make yourself follow the traffic light rule, that would be me. Perhaps you're not good at estimating how long a minute is. Try this, talk with a friend, setting a timer for one minute each time you begin an utterance. If you're too talkative, you'll often find yourself going on for longer. If you predict an utterance could last more than a minute before launching in, take just a moment to remind yourself to be concise. That will encourage you to self-edit. You think that others appreciate your verbosity. Here are signs that they're not so appreciative. As you talk to people other than laid-back types sometimes, do one or more of the following. Sigh, tap their fingers, tap their feet, shake their foot, nod impatiently as if saying, get on with it, interrupt you, turn slightly away, take a step away, rarely start a conversation with you. For example, do they tend to walk past your cubicle without establishing eye contact and in the break room not initiate conversation with you? Are you the one who usually initiates contact? For example, you're the one who phones friends and relatives. Of course, there are many reasons a person would avoid you or feel frustrated with you, but one is loquacity. 
So I've been thinking about that. I I do notice some of these signs of sighing or tapping foot or interrupting or turning away. But on the other hand, lots of people initiate contact with me and want to have conversations with me. I'm the person with the office right next to the door that everybody stops in and, hey, Laura, how are you doing, mm-hmm. Laura? What's going on with you? So I know I'm, I think it's because I'm nice and I, you can interrupt me. And for people who are comfortable interrupting, it's never a problem. For quieter people, I have a hard time because they're not going to jump in. They're not going to say anything. And I'm going to go on. And they're going to hope that they can get out of it somehow. Right. And that's where I want to be more careful. That's where I want to be more thoughtful. In my relationship, it was a constant problem because both of us love to talk. And... I would say he in particular does not enjoy being interrupted. It's hurtful. For me, you can interrupt me 20 times and I just figure I'd probably talk too much and go for it. But being a talkative person, I think the important thing is paying attention to nonverbal cues from the other person that they're really feeling left out. And that's where I get into my own head and I don't notice the other person is there. How that relates to depression is just simply, I'm feeling really good and I'm not feeling depressed right now. And now I'm talking my head off because when I'm depressed, I don't want to see anybody and I don't want to talk to anybody. And so I'm feeling like I'm coming out like a spring flower and I'm like, joy, joy, joy. Oh, good. The sun is out. And in that, I feel like I'm bowling over everybody in my path and I don't want to do that. So this week, I'm going to concentrate on maybe being a little quieter and it's important to listen. So on that note, I love you guys. Today we have with us in the studio Brad Poole. Brad is a journalist and freelance participant in the gig economy. Hello, Brad. Welcome to the Depression Session. Hello. So what's the gig economy? What's a participant in that look like? Well, the gig economy is kind of where journalists go when journalism dies. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was a reporter and editor at The Citizen, when the Tucson Citizen, when they closed. And uh, I took a year off, and journalism is a very brutal environment, especially newspapers, mm-hmm. for employment. It's not stable in a lot of ways. No matter where you go, you're at risk of losing a job. So I decided to uh, start freelancing. And I cobbled together a lot of contracts with Downtown Tucson Partnership, the Tucson Weekly, Reuters, People Magazine. I've done some marketing for cannabis dispensaries. I was a brand manager for a dispensary for a while. I drive Jeep tours on the side, which is fun. For a while, I was a balloon crew chief, hot air balloon crew chief. So I've sort of cobbled together part-time jobs over the past eight years and barely made a living. But it's partially by necessity. I lost my job when I was almost 50. And now I'm 55, over 50, and people don't call me. You know, it's just a fact. When people see resumes, older people don't get calls back. That's crazy. Because then you have the actual experience to be an excellent writer, and you've proven yourself. They just don't know how young I am at heart. That's what I, the way I see it. But anyway, the gig economy is, is, is popped up for a lot of people who can't find full-time employment. I don't want to leave Tucson, really. I love Tucson. If I wanted to, I probably could leave and get a job as a reporter. I mean, my resume is pretty good, but I don't want to leave. So the well, gig economy, I've cobbled together part-time jobs in order to stay in Tucson. And I like not having a boss. Yes. You know? <laughs> 
this is great and perfect for me because this is going to be my life next year. I'm leaving my full-time job of, I've only been full-time there three years, but I've worked there for five or six, six now. And I'm sad to be going, but I'm excited to be doing something else. And I've been thinking a lot for art students, like what do they actually need? What do, what do young people need today? And there's less and less stable jobs. Like journalism has just dissipated. Newspapers have closed. Especially newspapers. They've just closed all over the place because the Huffington Post, you can go on Facebook and you're not really necessarily getting real news, but people like fake news, apparently. Well, there's more news out there now than there ever has been. People say that the internet is is not killing journalism, it's saving it, but it's killing newspapers. I mean, print journalism is, is definitely less prevalent. Most of my work you know, as a writer now, doesn't ever receive print. I write for one of my part-time jobs is Courthouse News Service, and I cover civil courts, national news in Tucson. And when I write a story, they don't go, it's not a newspaper, it's ether. It just goes to the internet, and then clients take those stories and use them. That's why I actually love our gig economy. And I think that makes both of us younger than we are. Like, I love that I can have some freedom. And I love that I have a radio show that just goes out and somebody in Melbourne listens to it. And then they're like, hey, can I be on your show? Like, to me, the fact that I can be on this show for like a year, a couple years, since probably since you started. Yeah. I finally got you in the room. No, it's it's good. I'm definitely well versed in depression. Well, on that as a perfect note, on that note, Brad, tell us the story of your depression. I've had issues of some type my whole life. In fifth grade, we lived in Singapore, and I had already been in trouble in school continuously. Probably they would have just doped me up on, you know, pills. If it happened now, back then, I was just the wild kid that nobody could control. I wasn't out of control, but I was coloring outside the lines. One time I I got in trouble for something. I think it was fourth grade. And my teacher had to stay after school. So everybody left. And I'm sitting in the classroom with my teacher. And she says, I'm going to go get some coffee. I'll be back. And she walked out and I left. And came to school the next day. And she was furious, obviously. And so she's like, how dare you, whatever. I don't remember the conversation. She did it again. The next day, she left the room and I immediately went home. And so, you know, I was always troubled. We lived in Singapore in fifth grade. So my mom... Uh, decided that I was unhappy, that I needed to see a therapist. So she took me to this doctor. I vaguely remember him asking me questions. And of course, in Singapore, I'd been in a lot of trouble at school. I got kicked out of school for having shoulder-length hair. This was 1972, and long hair was illegal in Singapore. The Rolling Stones were denied at the airport. And they said, okay, fine, we're not doing a show here then. And they just left. And uh, so my private school principal, I got in trouble for, among other things, shooting paper wads at the principal's pet monkey. 
which this is a true story, chained up to a tree below our classroom. And I was out on the balcony by the classroom and shooting with a rubber band and paper wads at the monkey. So my principal kicked me out of school for a day to get a haircut. He told my mom, don't bring him back until he gets a haircut. I think that was the point where my mom was like, something's wrong with this kid. He needs a therapist. So I went to this psychiatrist. I remember drawing some pictures and just being at this doctor's office. And I don't remember any consequence from it. I was 10 years old. My mom later told me as an adult that the doctor just said, he doesn't need therapy. He's just an unhappy kid who's basically just pissed off because you dragged him halfway around the world and he's now living in a weird country. If you keep punishing him for these things, you're just going to have an unhappy kid more unhappy. And it serves no purpose. It won't solve anything. So I don't know. I guess I got a free ride at that point. But after that, that was fifth grade. So then I go into junior high and I started to just kind of feel different than other people in ways, you know, not like I'm gay or anything that profound that some people go through, including my son. But it was just more vague. Like, I just didn't feel connected to people, really. And I was kind of a loner, but I had friends. And that just kept going, continuing. Girls were always a problem. You would never know it now if you met me, but I was horribly shy. I couldn't talk to girls. And that was kind of a big deal when you're in junior high and in high school. And eventually had a girlfriend, fell in love, you know, for the first time in high school, and then had to move. And this is a common theme in my life because my dad was kind of a, he was an engineer. Both my parents are very adventurous. So they were never the type of people who just put roots down. They were explorers. So we lived in, I was born in Decatur, Illinois, moved to Morrison, Illinois at age three. Fifth and part of sixth grade, lived in Singapore, back to Illinois, then to Bloomington, Indiana for three years of high school, and then moved after my junior year of high school. And all of this stuff has kept, made me a loner, I think, which makes depression hard because isolation is a big part of depression. And it's definitely something to avoid. But I was always sort of forced in various ways into isolation. And it made me more of a loner, which makes it harder to deal with depression. I've come to believe, if you've watched Brene Brown's TED Talks about vulnerability, I have come to believe, and I knew I was kind of instinctively doing this uh, before I ever heard of her, but she sort of gave a voice to something I was doing, which was being vulnerable, laying yourself out there. And that's a way to, that it, to me is essentially what makes people human. The fact that we can connect like this. Other species connect, but it's, we have much deeper connections. And those connections are the thing that make people human. Isolation is kind of denying your own humanity to me. And that's kind of helped me with depression, you know, knowing that the isolation is bad. So 
I would just go do things. I've done things alone, you know, like in my 20s, when I was in the army and single, I would find myself just going to work, go to the mess hall, eat right after work, go in the barracks and watch TV or just sit around listening to music night after night after night. And so I would start going out to nightclubs just to be somewhere and see people, not even talking to people, but avoiding isolation. So throughout my life, you know, I've always felt different from other people. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but it all feeds depression. So my parents took me to a therapist at age 10. Nah, he doesn't need anything. I don't know what they would have said now. I really suspect I would have been put on meds. The teacher would have diagnosed me as ADHD, and my parents just saw me as a crazy genius. They're dead, so I can say now that they thought I was a crazy genius. <laughs> but anyway, just bouncing off of all kinds of mental health issues, never went to a therapist except that one time in fifth grade, went through high school. My parents did okay in their life, you know, to where they had two houses and we traveled all over the world, lived in Singapore, but they didn't send us to college. You know, their goal in life wasn't paying for us to go to college. It was paying for us to experience the world. So they invested huge amounts of money. The money, I've always thought, you know, would have paid for college to make sure we saw the world. I've been to 40 plus states. I've lived in three different countries. That's about more valuable than college. I eventually went to college, but I never saw any therapists. I flunked out of high school. I moved after my junior year, had a girlfriend who was a cheerleader. I was a swimmer and suddenly, guess what? We're moving. So it destroyed me. I got to the new school in the summer. The counselor was like, so are there any sports you do? And I was like, yeah, I want to be on the swim team. Oh, we don't have a swim team. <laughs> so I lost my cheerleader girlfriend, my sport, which probably was part of why I had the cheerleader girlfriend. I lost every friend I had, moved to a new school, and the school turned out to be like a suburban rich kids, which I didn't really get along with most of them. And so I just flunked every class my senior year. And I was depressed. And I kind of turned to drugs and I partied like a maniac. My next door neighbor, who was my age, walked out. We, she's like, hey, do you want to go to this festival? And I was like, sure. She's like, okay, new kid, come on. Jump in the car. She hands me a quarter pound of weed. And I was like, I like this town. <laughs> but anyway, I just partied, flunked out of school. So then eventually to pay for college, I joined the army and decided I want to study psychology. So I became... I was a combat medic for seven years and a behavioral science specialist. So I spent the next seven years up to my neck in mental health. And it really changed my life in a lot of ways. It didn't end my dealing with depression, but it taught me how to deal with it. And since then, I've been through, you know, a couple of courses of therapy at bad points in my life. And it isn't about talking about your, it's not like Freudian therapy. I'm a behaviorist. I believe in cognitive behavior therapy. It's about behavior. It's what you do that is how you manage depression. It isn't how you think. Literally going somewhere, anywhere, 
is therapy when you're depressed. So it isn't like you have to overcome these things in your head. The motions that you go through will make those things disappear. That's what one of the things that I think is, uh, I'm a fitness buff. I took a year off and studied exercise science at Piedmont Community College. I've found, as other people have, that people try to poke holes in it, but exercise is great for depression. I've been on two different antidepressants, and neither one of them really worked that great. It didn't really change anything. I have no drugs in my house besides cannabis. Exercise is, is the way to go for me. Just getting out and doing things is important. It doesn't matter. It isn't about, to me, overcoming or changing the way you think or the way you feel. You don't have to consciously try to change those things to feel better. If you do things like cognitive behavior therapy things, like writing down your emotions, log, make a log of how you feel, and just the act of writing that down and looking at it is the therapy. It doesn't have to be a conscious effort to change the way you think. There's things you can do that will change that for you if you do them. The biggest one is getting out and don't isolate. I was a brand manager for a chain of dispensaries in Phoenix for six months back in 2014. And it was great because I was depressed before that and living in isolation, writing a screenplay in Bisbee, which turned out to be great and bad because I was alone almost always in the wilderness out in the country. So I moved to Phoenix living in Scottsdale, making good money as a brand manager for weed. It was like a dream job that nobody gets. Then four months later, they said, oh, we're eliminating the job, which was created for me. So I got fired. I was living in Scottsdale, an $800 a month, tiny little apartment that I suddenly couldn't afford. So I moved back to Tucson. And this all happened like the week that Robin Williams killed himself. So I come back and I had a friend who I posted something on Facebook about Robin Williams and about depression. So my friend sends me a message who I hadn't talked to. Okay, here's the part where I cry. I hadn't talked to him in, uh, since I got back to town a couple of weeks. And he saw my post about depression. And he sent me a message and said, what do you do, you know, when you're lost in the woods? And I said, well, don't stop in place because that's not a good place. Try to keep something moving forward. And sometimes you have to just wait until things change, which they always do, good or bad. If things are good, appreciate it because it's going to change. If things suck, well, just wait because it's going to change. Anyway, this was a Friday, and I said, are you okay? And he said, yeah, I think I'm okay. And I said, well, we should have a drink. I mean, I haven't seen you. I've been back three weeks. And he was like, Monday. And Sunday, he killed himself. So that, I've never really been totally suicidal. It's always been the backup plan. Like, well, I mean, worst case scenario, I just killed myself. It's a passing thought. It isn't even, it, it counts probably as suicidal ideation, but... That kind of keeps me away from suicide because seeing how that affected everyone around him keeps me moving because I don't want to, I don't want someone to have to wake up and realize that I know from my years of mental health that 
it wouldn't necessarily change anything if I had said, no, dude, we're having a drink today, not Monday. But I didn't, and that was hard. So I don't want someone else to have to feel that. So that helps me steer away from suicide every time that ever even pops up as a passing remote possibility. Anyway. Brad, thanks so much for your story. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. I do want to pull out a couple things from there. I mean, one being suicide such a... It's such a difficult thing because I have a number of people in my life who have suicidal ideation, and some of them have suicidal tendencies and have actually, you know, attempted things. Anyway, I just want to, you know, just address your hurt with your friend. I mean, that's... There's always going to be some guilt wrapped up in it, and what ifs. Yeah. And as because I was a mental health professional, I know that I'm not... I have no guilt about it, but it's an irrational feeling that you can intellectualize how to deal with that. But there's a what if there. It was a pretty tough week for me, to be honest. I mean, I didn't get suicidal, but and I didn't even get depressed necessarily, but it shocked me. It shocked everyone. Yeah. And, you know, I, I immediately, as soon as my friend, another friend of mine, sends me a text and he says... Sorry about your friend. And I instantly knew exactly what happened. So I texted his wife and she said, I mentioned this conversation we had about being lost in the woods. And she said, well, it wasn't his first trip into the woods, but it was his last. My feeling on it is there's nothing, nothing you could do or say, but I don't know. I haven't had anybody actually do it. <laughs> Yeah, so I feel lucky. First, he's the first, <laughs> yeah. you know, person that I would consider a true friend who has killed himself. And it was unexpected by pretty much everyone. I had no clue. I had known him for three, four, five years and saw him at work repeatedly. We worked in the same circles. Never had a clue that that man was depressed. I went to Thanksgiving at their house and he was just didn't seem depressed. And you would, I would say the same about you. And you'd probably yeah. say the same about me. Like, you can't see it from the outside. No. Because you, when you're in, that goes back to the isolation, when you're in that worst space, you're not out in public. No one's going to see that part. They're going to see you when you leave, when you go out and you talk right. and you chat. You know, like I said, I'm a big talker. Like, no one, I had a friend who was like, you're depressed? Like, how could you be depressed? There's no hope for any of us, you know? Well, depression doesn't always express as sadness. I mean, sometimes it's mainly anxiety. To go back to something one, real quick, being a freelance entrepreneur, if you will, with all the part-time jobs I've mentioned, depression has a direct impact on my income. Other people, when you get depressed, you still have a job. You still have a paycheck. You may go to work and you may not get anything done that week, but you're going to get paid. Me, if I don't go to work, if I don't get things done, I don't get paid. I have to generate my income. And so when I'm not a generator, there's no income. So I've been through periods when I've been broke specifically because of depression. Your livelihood is directly impacted by your depression. Exactly. And for a lot of people, as long as you can make it to work enough days... <laughs> Exactly. It doesn't matter if you weren't that productive that day, they'd probably yeah. not fire you. I think it's just a, it's always a private suffering. You wouldn't and couldn't invite somebody into that. 
you know, and you can't know. And then you really can't do anything for anyone except be honest about who you are. Well, I'm single and I date a lot. I've come to the point now where I just tell people before anything gets past the initial stages, people know that I have a history of depression and they can take that however they want. But I definitely tell people, I don't really couch it in those terms. I have a history of mental illness. Nobody wants to hear that on a second date. (laughs) I've been depressed in the past. That's maybe a little more acceptable to say. But it's the same thing. It's mental illness. I I worked in the field. I'm not ashamed to say that. Well, that is a perfect way to end the show. Okay. Thank you so much for being on the depression session, Brad. Okay. Thanks for having me. I want to mention again that if you found some of the content of today's episode triggering, please seek professional help and call 911 if you feel like hurting yourself or others. I'm not a licensed therapist, and this show and the station are not endorsing any remedies or products. The purpose of this show is to destigmatize depression through storytelling. You can find a link to mental health services on downtownradio.org on the About KTDT page. To listen to the podcast, or if you're interested in being on the show, contact us at www.thedepressionsession.com. You've been listening to The Depression Session on Downtown Radio Tucson with music by Septahelix. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at The Depression Session Podcast. Thank you.